Now on Documentary on News Talk, reflecting on a career at the top of Irish soccer. This is Own Hand, a life in football and more. You are very welcome to Own Hands, a life in football and more. I'm Peter Grogan and we're off to Kerry to sit down and chat to Own himself in his home about his life in general, his life in football, its ups and downs and its pressures, culminating with him as manager of the Irish international team. We will meet friends and colleagues of Owens from inside and outside the game, highlighting some of his many interests. Among others, we'll meet the likes of publican and journalist Billy Keane, commentator George Hamilton, Ireland's rugby hero Tony Ward, the legendary John Giles and Captain Fantastic himself, Mick McCarthy. But first, a surprise. A talent he's not as famous for? The setting... John B.'s bar down in a stole, the singer, own hand. Best of order now, please. Come by the hills to the land where legends remain, where stories of old have been told and may yet come again, where the past has been lost and the future's about to be one and those cares of tomorrow must wait till this day is done Owen Hand was born on the 30th of March 1946 in the oldest pub in Ireland the Brazen Head in the Liberties area of Dublin His mother Monica, a widow and owner of the pub, did her utmost to provide for and advise her four boys. Here's Owen. My three brothers, she insisted and she made it easy for them to go to university. And they all qualified with varying degrees, architecture, engineer and science. Uh, Me, no, football. And one of the reasons for that was I wanted to get out and earn my own I was because I'd done my leaving set, you know. I was so keen to be a footballer, and when uh, Swindon Town wanted me over, that was it. I was gone. I was yes. gone. So, so uh, you didn't have to think about it. I didn't have to think about it. Yeah, you know. And your mum's reaction, commands. Oh, well, when she says put. you're too young. I was eighteen. I was yeah. eighteen when I went over to Swindon, and uh, but I'd finished my leaving set to see. So, I I was I was like I mean I went over there and I was in digs. And oh my God! And you know, oh what a huge upheaval yeah. for me as an eighteen-year-old Irish guy going to live in Swindon, which is yes. kind of right in the middle of England yes. there in Wiltshire. Yeah. Uh, but again, great memories of there. Made mm. great friends there. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Swindon Town called, and his football dreams that started with Stella Morris in Dublin were becoming a reality. Returning home for a while, he played for Dundalk. Drumcondra and Shamrock Rovers. Over in England, during a very successful second stint with Portsmouth, he captained the side. He also achieved long-awaited league and cup glory with Limerick United as player-manager. At international level, Owen won 21 senior caps for his country. Then, in 1980, he got a call from the FAI that so many people would dream of to manage the Irish international side. Replacing Alan Kelly, he was the youngest international manager in the world. Let's rejoin Owen in North Kerry, 
where he spent many happy summers as a child with family friends. Little wonder that himself and his wife Pauline have made this place their home. And the memories? There was a, a sports day on the 15th of August every year in Nakanur. And it was kind of, I was like, what was I, 12, 13? But I loved the, the events they had there. They had the long jump, the high jump, they had 100 yards, they had 200 yards. And the tug of war. The tug of war. <laughs> tug and of the three-legged race. Yes. All these things. Yeah. And I just loved them. And I, I did very well at them. And in fact, I maybe think that maybe that's where they gave me my competitive spirit. Right. I was playing a bit of Gaelic football, which I was at the school in O'Connell's anyway, Scully Connell. Um, playing a lot of Gaelic football, but I loved, soccer was my first love. So there was a great sporting interest around here and there was a lovely attitude towards it as well, you know, which there still is about sport. You know, um, Kerry, as we know, is great for the Gaelic football. Then music as well. I just, I've always loved music. And of course, the sessions you would have down in places like, I think Kerry is probably one of the, Claire would be another one, where... There is a great kind of uh, loving and whatever about a joy of, of people getting together and having their instruments. The and tradition having, is there. The tradition it? is yeah. there. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. I mean, I remember I remember going out in the Wren and going around to all the people and all that. And I, I had a banjo, which I still can't play properly. But uh, I would try a bit and play chords and all that yes. kind of business. It would be handy if there was a break-in as well. Oh, exactly. Yes, exactly. That's right. There it is over behind you. I had the good fortune to meet John B. Keane. We obviously would go to Listowel for main things or whatever because there wasn't the, the shopping facilities in my van yes. then. Uh, so, but meeting John B. Keane, uh, he was a very, very interesting character. I was honoured to have met him really, you know. Of course, he introduced me to Billy and of course, I would then frequent John B's quite often. Billy is the, the quiet, shy man. Yes, <laughs> Billy is I the quiet, shy Location, location. We're in Kerry, we're in the centre of Listowel, and Mr. Listowel himself, John B. Keane. I'm standing beside his statue. He has his left arm raised as if to welcome us here, and he has cap in hand in case the weather gets chilly. Well, another man in Ewermore for a story is his son, the famous Billy Keane, and we're going to pop up the road and have a chat about Own Hand in his famous hostelry. Billy, when Own Hand came here to the environs of Listowel, what did he bring to the area? Well, when Owen came to Listowel first, um, I suppose the first thing we, he brought was that he was a footballer and a football manager, and I suppose we, we, we appreciated that. But, but the one thing I noticed right from the start, no matter who approached him, wanted to talk about the good old days or, or anything, any controversy, give them all the time they wanted. There was no quick sound bite. It was a long conversation, and people were thrilled because... You know, he was part of our, our lives for so many years and that great team he had. But then after a while, we got to know the man. And he's a sensitive man, you know, at times. Um, I think a lot of the criticism hit him very badly in a personal way. But his way of, I think his way of coping with it really is the singing and the music. Uh, he's an atrocious banjo player. He's been trying for about 15, 20 years. But he's not atrocious, but... He just never mastered it, but he's a great singer, and um, uh, he's singing. Could you, could you define atrocious now? Because atrocious, well, I don't know how many strings are on the banjo he tried to play. It was at least seven, anyway. 
but he, he only manages to get about three of them at any one at any one time. Yes. He's taken the lessons, he's done everything, but he's never going to give up in that because yes. one of the reasons he got where he was in sport was because of determination. You know, he had to go to England when he was a young lad, but he stuck with it all the way through. He had ups and downs and all kinds of things yes. happened to him in South Africa and health wise and everything. But that's one thing about him. He he does stick at it. He does yeah. stick at it. I think it's a sports thing, you know, as a former sports writer I've seen that quality in him a lot. He um he loves singing. That's his way of coping with life and he goes into a different world and he really gives it everything. He doesn't half heartedly sing a song, does Orn. He puts his life and soul into it and you can kinda of see the passion. Sometimes when he sings, um when he sings, you can see the passion that he would have brought to a dressing room just in those final minutes before a match when you pump up the players and get them to go out before 40 or 50,000 in Lansdowne Road as it was then or Dalymount Park or any of the great arenas where he was involved with as a player and a manager. You can see that in him. Like he pumps it up and you can just see, you can imagine him like banging tables and and yeah. just getting yeah. everyone going. Yeah, yeah, he gives it his all. and. Does it? He gets. Um, and you, uh, uh, the other thing I noticed from the pub here over the years is you don't have to beg him to sing. Yeah. Like he just volunteers the song. Yes. He just comes straight yes. out with it. Yes. And he sings it. And he's he's glad to be asked to sing. Yes. And it's not that he's a uh, that he'll sing five in a row and try and take over the night. He's he's quite reticent. A travel agent at Kerry organises regular trips abroad for ex-footballers of every code. That's how legendary Kerry footballer Owen Bomberliston met Owen. 25 years or more um, since I got to know him. But before that we knew him obviously when he was manager, playing for Ireland first and then manager of uh, the Irish team. And it was through golf. Uh, Sean Skehan travel used to organise these golf tours. Um, where he, When we retired he got a few old soccer players and a few old footballers and people invited people to come and play golf with us and we used to get a few lovely trips abroad and you'd meet all the different footballers and soccer players yeah. from other places and uh, that's where I met one first. Yes. And those trips, like you'd play your golf and you'd have your meal yeah. and you'd all go to bed then around half eight at night. Yeah, roughly, roughly that, but uh, Owen was often very late going to bed and I suppose the fact that I'm can bear witness to that that I was fairly late myself. Yeah. Ah, look, it was a, it was a case of um, that the people that were coming out to yeah. play golf with us, yeah. you had a bit of grub with them and there'd be a yes. few, few drinks yeah. and a few songs and right. Owen was well able to... He was, he was a chanter. Walking. He was a chanter, as we'd say a down chanter. here. Oh, yeah. lovely. Yeah. For chanter. Uh, he never liked losing at football. What was he like losing at golf? I can't really say I beat him that often, no, being honest. Um, Ah, look, he, any fellow that plays, whether at a, at a high level, level, you know, yeah. there is a bit of competition there, but yes. uh, it is often just for the slag after, yes. you know, but um, good golfer, uh, but more importantly, um, great entertainer, great yes. storyteller, uh, lovely to be around, and um, very nice bloke. Great stuff. That that's, that's comes from the heart, as they say. We'd both be members in Ballybun and Golf Club as well, so that we'd meet there. And I've met him in Ballybun a good few times, obviously being from Ballybun. Yes. And um, there's certain establishments there that he'd have his... Establishment, I love the Yeah, word. exactly, love the yeah. Yes. He'd have his, his uh, 
musicians with him and yeah. given a few songs yes. and it was always lovely yeah. to hear. And to put things in perspective, isn't it, Gas, the way life has gone on? You're from the GA code, he's from the soccer code, if you like. The, the train didn't meet once upon a time and you're out socialising and playing golf and talking football and talking soccer. Ah, yeah, I think any fella that's whatever, if you have played sport, you have an interest, yeah. a big interest in all other sports. Yes. And God, your own, having trained the Irish team and played with Portsmouth is it yes, for, for so many years yes. and players yes. he'd have played against players we'd have been we'd following have and we'd we'd interest. like we'd like to find out more about them and yes. find out more about his yes. training methods and the fellas he trained in yes. Ireland they were heroes of ours yes. which one was when he was playing and we'd always be looking for information yes. and, and those. So when you're out together then the, the crack would be even more than 90 would it? Uh, it has often been 90 anyway, we'll say. 90 plus. 90 plus, yeah. I wander her hills and her valleys. And still Another talented man now residing in North Kerry is singer-songwriter Mickey McConnell. A land that has never known freedom I presume that when Mickey and Owen got together, that their banter and chat would be in equal measure music and football. Oh, never presume. Do you know, I can't really remember the details of it. I think he volunteered himself yeah, for a song in the middle of the night, and um, I was very impressed with his singing, and sort of we got chatting, and our mutual love of music sort of led on from there. Um, I think I, he recruited me to buy a banjo for him. He has been battling to try and learn the banjo since about 1957 I think it's probably yeah, was it 56 maybe yeah. with his level of expertise surely it would be 56 well his level of expertise could even take it back to 1899 <laughs> I imagine um, it, this is a long a long running battle he's been uh, right. he's been conducting yeah. so I think I bought a banjo for him during the flag hole you disliked him that much <laughs> <laughs> No, um, he, he was so keen on the banjo, and he's still yeah. keen on the banjo. Yes. But, um, no, we're, we're good friends. I wrote a song for him, actually, at one stage, uh, uh, which was about his growing up in, in the Brazen Head in Dublin. Uh, when Robert Emmett etched his name upon an upstairs window pane. That's it, that's it. It all started. It was a story that Owen told you, yeah? It was a story that Owen told me about um, his mother running, uh, running the Brazen Head and um, it being a safe house and all this sort of thing. So the history of the place um, is one of those songs that actually practically wrote itself. <laughs> Once Robert Emmett etched his name Upon an upstairs window pane Of the Dublin pub my mother owned A long, long time ago The oldest tavern in the land Still brazen by the Liffey stands Defying time and God and man for nine hundred years and more From my infant years I grew In rooms that Tone and Demet knew Joyce and Swift and Collins too 
those heroes one and all A safe house for the brave and free And all who treasure liberty Still calling out to you and me From creaking floors and ancient walls Did you think that from Owen's point of view and you not knowing him as the sportsman in those days, shall we say, um, that it was a release for him, the music and the drama? I've, I've rarely seen him happier than when he's sitting in a group of musicians and singers and uh, sitting back and joining in. And uh, there is a man totally at peace and totally enjoying himself. I think it's it's uh, it's very good and very therapeutic for him. And he brings such a, such an amount to a session as well. Not only the fact that everyone knows him and likes to be in this company, but he's a hell of a good singer. The song really just was the icing on the cake on a friendship, a musical friendship that um, started when we first met and continues to this day. Yes, shadows mean the sun still shines on this beloved land of mine and i hope and pray for better times for the sunshine after rain when we will face the final test and lay those troubled ghosts to rest change your emerald island of the west into a nation once again once Robert Emmett etched his name Upon an upstairs window pane Of the Dublin pub my mother owned A long, long time ago I asked Owen about his most memorable match when he managed Ireland. France at uh, Lansdowne then, uh, Aviva now, and we beat France 3-2. And it was the end of the campaign that would have pulled us to Spain in 82. And I mean, a very strong French team, Platini, led by Platini. But we beat them 3-2 in a real classic game. It really was, and it was a great game. And what a result that was for us. Uh, we weren't to know that... Belgium were to pip us on goal difference because of a disastrous oh. referee and decision and there was no way we were going to get anything out of that. A draw would have put us through. And that was a huge, huge disappointment. That's probably the biggest disappointment of yes. my managerial career. On the rugby field, Tony Ward's skill and vision as a fly half saw him rise to the pinnacle of world rugby. He also represented the Lions and the Barbarians. Who could forget October 78, Munster defeating the All Blacks and Tony's two drop goals and a conversion? I first came across Owen, uh, obviously I knew his playing career because I would have followed League of Ireland. I, I'm from Dublin originally and uh, uh, I was a Rovers fanatic growing up, so when Rovers would have played drums and Owen's from Drum Contra, um, so I was very very well aware of Owen and then he went away to England and um, played over there with the Irish team, etc. But the first time I came in direct contact was in uh, the late 70s, I came down to Limerick and uh, I was based in Limerick obviously at that time uh, and playing rugby down there. And then Owen came down through Harry Gibson Steele, who was uh, a former League of Ireland president. And himself and Mickey Webb introduced Owen to Limerick. Owen took over as manager. And he transformed 
a talented group of players into an unbelievable side. I saw a lovely quote there, Peter, lately uh, from a guy who would have played with me, Martin Lawler. I don't remember the Lawlers. Mick Lawler's younger brother, Martin, played left full in Dundalk. But I saw Martin get a lovely quote about that Limerick team and Owen in particular the other day where he was saying that they were the hardest group to play against and yet they were woven with silky skills. And I thought that was a lovely tribute, even though he didn't set out to do that, to make to own. And that's my abiding memory. He, he got the lovely balance. And, and that came from his own experience in the game, certainly. But like you die for own as a manager. And And by that, what I mean is he was player-manager when he was at Limerick. So nothing that he asked you to do, he didn't do himself. And he was actually on the field doing it. So he had an advantage in one sense that he could do that. But if he underperformed, it could backfire as well. But he he managed to get the balance right. And uh, I have to say, he had a huge influence on uh, attracting me back to football, albeit on a part-time basis because I was playing rugby. You were playing with Gary Owen at the time, were you? I was playing with Gary Owen and obviously Munster and and Ireland. Yes. that period, the, the yes. 70s and 80s, but, yes. it, but it, 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 it was also a time when Limerick had a particularly strong side in, I mean, there, there was a league win, a cup win, and three years in Europe in a row, and that was the own hand era. Tony really appreciated the creative freedom that Owen gave him. From a personal point of view, what I loved about it was that Owen would just, you know, just encourage me to do my own thing, as it were, yes. but obviously for, for the team. Within the and, and, and it was just a lovely feeling, because I'd had one or two rough years in rugby um, where I was a bit restricted in coaching terms, and then to have somebody who you knew believed in you, it just... And that's that was Owen, he was a great psychologist. And the other thing with Owen too is, I, I mean, as you know well, Peter, off the field, Owen is, you know... He, he enjoys a good social life as well. Shinskelella, as we say, another uh, story. Uh, absolutely, Skelella, but he's certainly, uh, and he can sing too, as you well know. Yes, <laughs> certainly he can. And was that also, did that, did that camaraderie and the crack and the songs and the banjo and all of that, did that then go back to the field saying, it's a further commitment that we have to give him back? He gives us a social side. We're all pals, but at the same time, you cross the white line, it's game on. Yeah, that, 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 that's what I, I found unique. I, I think that's a very difficult balancing act, to be one of the lads, one of the lads, which made it hard for him being player-manager, and yet trying to keep that distance when you've got to be the manager and you've got to say things that players don't want to hear on a one-to-one basis. But Owen was able to do that. Like, at League of Ireland level, he was a fantastic manager. And ironically, I've heard him criticise, that very criticism levelled with him at international level, which for me is more a reflection of the players than it is on the manager, because Owen was no different when he was, whether he was managing the national side, the international side, or a League of Ireland side. In, in that he 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 was the he was the same own hand he didn't yeah. change in those days when when Ireland would play um, internationals on a midweek game on a Wednesday the team would be in the Newlands Hotel and Owen would have a session there afterwards with the lads you know when it was all over when the football was done and he used to ask me to pop in with the Munster lads if they wanted to and they used to love it going you know, we all did. And we went into some of the sessions there when, and there were great music sessions because, as you know, Owen's a great musician himself, and Paddy Riley and um, Luke Kelly. And to save my life, I, I couldn't sing a song, sadly. <laughs> but I, I remember standing up and singing Dublin in the Rare Old Times uh, with Luke in particular, which is a lovely memory to have given, you it's know, probably the highlight of Luke's career. The highlight of my career, I can tell you, sir. Based on songs and stories, heroes are. 
the passing tales and the glories that once was Dublin town. Own Hand, a life in football and more, on Documentary on News Talk. Father Kevin McNamara, a good friend of Owen's over the years, gives another perspective on the man off the field, away from football. When you're in company and you see Owen Hand coming in, Father Kevin, what does that mean to the company? You can be assured of great conversation and if the atmosphere is right, a good number of songs as well. He really uh, has taken very much to the community here. He lives in Dinalapa and uh, he's been a great help to me in the parish with the um, uh, concerts that we've had. He's the MC for the concert and he carries that very, very well. So when I see him coming in to the local, uh, I know there's going to be good conversation. He's a great way of organising and he's a, he's a now man. He just, you know, does it now. If he says he's doing it, he's doing it. It's not on the long finger. How would you rate him as a singer? He puts great feeling and meaning into the song. And another thing that I would have noticed with him as well, he's very, very encouraging of young children that are having an eye for football and if their parents came and said look would you have a look at such a one or whatever or would you give them tips or whatever he has a, a great ability there and he's done an awful lot of work with the uh, underage groups you know going around presenting medals and various things so he's generous with his time he's generous with his spirit so overall um, he has enriched and blessed me here with our conversations and chats and uh, he is a, a man of his word. One of the most recognisable voices in Irish sport, commentator George Hamilton, has known Owen personally and professionally. Yeah, I remember him uh, as a player for Portsmouth um, in those days of uh, match of the day on BBC in the evening of the big match on um, on ITV on a Sunday. And, and occasionally uh, Owen Hand would appear as a player. Uh, on the screen, uh, and so I, I was very aware of him, and I, I followed the, the the Republic of Ireland team like any football fan in, in, on the island probably would. Uh, and Owen was was featuring large, and then of course he got the job as as the Ireland manager. But I didn't really know him uh, at that stage, but I, I knew of him, and I knew what he was and who he was, and and yes. what he got up to in a football sense. And would there always be that barrier between commentator and manager? Not so much in those days. Uh, once you had made yourself known and, and they got to know you, uh, then it became uh, very straightforward. And I, I'd have to observe that, you know, all these years later, it's not at all like that. It's much more difficult uh, to get to know a person in the way that I was able to get to know Owen uh, because of the, the media management that goes on nowadays. That's just not what wasn't the case then. Uh, and it, even, even down to the fact that, you know, you would travel on the same plane to awake fixtures with the team and the management, and, and it was almost like you were part of the party. George recalls here when Owen took over the reins as Irish international team manager. An amazing story about how I, I got to know Owen Hand, uh, how our friendship moved on to another level. Uh, and it was all to do with him being appointed Republic of Ireland manager because that came about in the summer of 1980 and when I, with my colleague Max Mulvihill, uh, was at the European Football Championship in Italy. And uh, we, were, we were in Rome uh, at the time, staying in a hotel on the Via Aurelia, when we got a message from Dublin uh, to say that uh, the Irish Embassy had been on. Uh, Owen Hand, the New Ireland manager, wanted to get in touch with us. Uh, was it OK if, because uh, no mobile phones, if we told him where you were staying? Uh, I said, of course, of course, this is great. I mean, if he wants to see us as opposed to us want to see him, this must be great from our point of view. 
Now, as it happened, uh, Max and I were staying in what was uh, laughingly called a suite in this hotel. It was uh, effectively three three rooms off a hallway. Yes. Uh, so Max had one room, I had another room, and there was a spare room. And this turned out to be very important in terms of my friendship and Max's with Owen Hand. Because it turned out when he made contact with us that he wasn't overjoyed with the hotel arrangements that the FAI had made for him. They were uh, rooms in the, in the, the centre of town near Termini Station and uh, hotels near stations in big cities don't tend to be places where you'd necessarily uh, want to spend a fortnight. So Owen was wondering was there any way we could help him find alternative accommodation because we were on the ground. And we said, well, but do better than that. You can come and stay with us because we have a spare room in our suite. And so Owen moved in uh, for the duration of, of the, the championship. He stayed with us in that hotel and he, he went about his business checking out the, uh, the, the games in the, in the European Championship. And when it came to the final and he was still there, he had a ticket for the, the VIP area. But Max uh, had an idea and suggested that it might be good if, if Owen was our co-commentator. Now, in those days, 1980, we didn't do co-commentary. It was generally speaking just the one voice on a television commentary. But we put it to Owen and he said he'd love to. He'd be delighted to spend the match with us in the commentary box. He'd have the added advantage of being able to follow the match on the, on the TV screen. And so uh, we decided between the three of us that this was a good plan. Only snag. Owen had no accreditation. He had a ticket to get into the ground all right. The Olympic Stadium in Rome, if you please, 80,000 capacity. <coughs> but no right of access yes. to the press area. So we just thought that the only way around this was to take the bull by the horns and present him at the gate and say he had to get in. Now this wouldn't happen in 2022, uh, but in 1980 it was possible. Two guys with laminates and a third party and a security man. And we explained, this is the Republic of Ireland manager and he must get in. And the security man in that Italian way just simply shrugged and said, in Italian, on you go. And so we were in. And Owen did the co-commentary on that match, the final of the European Championship, which wasn't a very good match, as I recall. West Germany won it 1-0. But anyway, yeah. uh, he, that, that was the start of his co-commentary career yes. as the Republic of Ireland manager in Rome at the European Championship. But you couldn't hide him anyway. You had no. to just say, he's here. Let him in. Let him in. How would you rate him as a co-commentator? Owen was a very astute reader of the game. Uh, as I find a great many professional footballers uh, would, would play the game and then move on, and the, yes. the, they've been great on the pitch. But Owen was one of those who would study the game. He was a he was a bit like the you know the academic as opposed to the simple uh, school school yes. pupil who would go through and then finish and go off into the world. Owen would would study the thing and, and, and you know had a great understanding of and football. He'd be prepared. He, he would take it seriously and he wouldn't just barrel up and say, "Sure, we'll we'll judge oh, no, it no, as oh, it comes." Oh no, he was he was he was a man who thought deeply about the game. Yes, uh, and you know deserved greater success, I think, as a manager than actually came his way because he was very astute. Is very astute. In a sentence, on hand, sum him up as a character. Big man, big heart, great player, great manager, and a great friend. During his playing days with Stoke and Ireland, Terry Conroy was that instantly recognisable flying winger. He was Owen's assistant international manager. His best memory? Beating France in Lansdowne 3-2. You won 82. Yeah, and I mean, that was a fantastic French side. They, they were shell-shocked because they came to Dublin thinking, you know, this is comfortable for us. Oh. And I mean, they only got through in the end on goal difference, That's didn't right. they? That's right. So, and they had Platini, Gires, 
uh, Tigana, uh, unbelievable team. It's a standout. That game in Lansdowne, the atmosphere was I've never really yes. come across in a yeah. soccer game. So that's the highlight of the, the managerial side of the game with me and Owen that day. You know. <laughs> Tell me this, uh, you being the very nifty, very able winger, instinctive, and him being the stopper, were you ever tackled by Owen Hand? No, no. Luckily enough, I was only in training. Yeah. Yeah, and then probably too fast for him. Anyway. Well, uh, yes, I'd like to think so, Peter. Owen will tell you differently. He would think that you know he used his prowess upstairs to be able to counteract my moves, and he was always like you know Beckenbauer or uh, Bobby yeah. Muir. He read yeah. the game so well. That's Owen's description. Yeah. <laughs> Owen has particular memories of that Brazilian genius Revelino, but first, an incident with Germany's Franz Beckenbauer. Played in the Olympic Stadium in Berlin, and I was centre half, and uh, Shea Brennan was full back alongside me, and Beckenbauer went in over the top. The expression, you know, it was a right. bad tackle, okay. and Shea Brennan was on the on the deck, and I just I didn't care. Like I mean, I just went in, and I it was a bit of a melee, and I went and I punched Beckenbauer on the chest, and I, I didn't even get sent off or anything like that. But uh, um, I just uh, out of anger, like I mean. He, a guy with your flipping reputation doing that whatever yes. and of course later years he got an international award from the FAI uh, merit award and I was getting uh, what was it sports uh, personality, sports personality. Yes, right. and I was sat beside him Dickie Bow beside Franz Bar and I said you remember that game in uh, the Olympic Stadium in Berlin remember somebody hit you said, that was me <laughs> <laughs> what did he say he, he laughed it was you it was you <laughs> oh you yes. hit me. Oh, yes. oh! I won't talk to you now tonight. But he was great. He was great. He, he saw that, like looking back on it. Yes. But himself, Rivellino, another great yes. player that I. Yeah. Again, g- you were you were very rough with Rivellino. Like I mean, he called you loco, 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 or something. He picked up this one ball and just gave a little shuffle or whatever, and I went the wrong way, and then bang, top corner. The beat us two one, but uh, Mancini scored for us, as I recall, in that game. But. Uh, that was interesting in so much as the game was over and of course I Rivellino swapped jerseys and he looked at me and he says oh yeah he got booked for kicking me by the way because yeah. I was hitting him and hitting him fairly but you know every time tackle and tackle tackle and he got fed up and he just turned around and he kicked me blatantly and he got carded right. and, uh, and after the game he said to me loco loco I said well, I didn't get carded you did <laughs> and I didn't think he was going to swap jerseys I said you swap jerseys yeah, yeah, yeah. Did he? So, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. So yeah. 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 Him, him, and the kissing and the making kissing, was better yeah. than the the, the Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and actually, I have the video of that game as well. Yeah. Like, uh, Wonderful things to look back on. One of Ireland's greatest footballers, midfield maestro himself, John Giles, also went on to manage the national side. He had a huge influence on Owen. Yourself and Owen Hand. According to Owen Hand, he met you for the first time in Stella Maris. And he was in awe of a man who was a world-class player at the time. Do you remember those Stella Maris days? And yeah, well, I came from Stella Maris originally, uh, a few years ahead of Owen. And I think I knew Owen played for Stella Maris because I, th- I think of a, if it's right, my brother played with well, Christy. My Christy, my brother played with Owen at that uh, school by level. So I would have met him for the first time at Stella's ground. Owen was inspired when John Giles visited Stella Maris. If I'd had a, a, an international player coming down to where I was in Norman Square, I would have been in awe of them as well. But I, I wasn't thinking that way at that particular time. I was just 
gone down because I was asked to do that. Yes. As you say, with Owen, it was great to have an influence on him. I didn't, I didn't know about that at that particular time. As he got older, he, he, he got better. He went back to centre-half and then he really came on. Before his second stint with Portsmouth, when he actually captained the side, Owen returned to play for Shamrock Rovers under John. What happened actually, he, when he was released by Portsmouth, he came to me. He had a couple of months at Shamrock Rovers. And then somebody else took over to Portsmouth, which wasn't the manager obviously that released him, and they wanted him back. So Owen went back to, for, for his yes. second spell. There are plenty of managers who would have stood in his way. We knew each other on a personal level for a good number of years. Well, I wasn't going to stand in his way. Owen was a grafter. And that's what got him into the international team, was the, the fact that he was going to graft. He wasn't even naturally gifted like some players. So it was hard work, mostly hard work that, that uh, got him there, in, in my opinion. Yes. He, had, he had ability, of course, but uh, he, he wouldn't have been a blessed individual like some of the players. It was, it was uh, you know, Don Givens or yes. uh, particularly Liam Brady, mm-hmm. uh, Tony Dunn. But he was, he was prepared to graft Yes. And do it, which was good. Total commitment. Yeah. Did you see the same thing as a manager? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I played with Owen. Then I was player manager with Owen. Uh, so I knew him from way back. Actually, I think Owen would have played his first caps in the bad old days. Yeah. When we had the selection committee. and It was hard for anybody to come into the team at that particular time. Today, you're still friends with him? Oh, yeah. You must be a saint. <laughs> I haven't seen Owen for ages but we'd, we'd be in touch he'd, he'd give me a ring or I'd give him a ring So when you get back to golf there'll be an invitation in Ballybunion He called you the perfectionist by the way playing golf <laughs> I might be the perfectionist it doesn't mean I'm any good I mean, it's, that's, the, that's the big thing about it I love playing golf it was, it was a, a recreation away from football you know, because you need to get a break away from football and, and when I was at Leeds which would be my best days we had Tuesday, if we weren't playing on a Wednesday, which wasn't that often, to be quite honest. But it was a break, and holidays, summer holidays, was great. Sum the man up in a couple of sentences. What's he like as a friend? Good heart, good team man, good goer. On the football pitch, you could depend on him. And usually when people are like that, and I'm sure the same as on, you could depend on them off the pitch. And so to complete our triangle of players who went on to manage Ireland, enter Captain Fantastic himself, Mick McCarthy. Well, I first, I think I first spoke to him in 83 when I was at Manchester City. No, it wasn't 84. I joined Man City in 83, but that was December. And then uh, having swapped clubs from Barnsley to Man City and I was having a good season, uh, I guess I got... uh, Interested uh, interest from from Oyen and from from Ireland. I mean, I've, there was supposedly interest a long time before that, but it was Oyen that first pursued me to come and play for Ireland. So I got a call from him in '84, and then I was thrilled, delighted to get a call. And then I met up with him in '84 when we went to Japan. Oh, listen, just to get the call and go and play for Ireland and international football was amazing. any sort of interest from that. It had been mooted before when I was at Barnes that there was some interest in me and it was I think it was Johnny Giles at the time. But as I said it was Owen that first showed any real interest in me yeah. the call. So yeah, it's it's, it's it's kind of a bit of disbelief that you're getting the call, but uh, absolutely thrilled. Brilliant. You don't get a nicer call, shall we say. 
And, uh, no, so you don't. No, usually calls are normally get to something you don't want. That was what I did want. I know. That bond was there anyway between yourself and, and Owen from a call like that. Uh, playing under him, what was he like? Well, we, yeah, there was a really good bond with everybody. I mean, I turned up and we, we the first time I turned up, we stayed in the, the Green Isle Hotel. Uh, my first game was against Poland. But we met up prior to that, I think, on the Sunday and, you know, as we used to do with the national team, we'd have a couple of pints and have a chat and he instantly uh, himself and TC, Terry O'Connor, they were just uh, Mick Byrne, they were just all very welcome. And it, it, it felt like I'd played before. It felt like I'd been part of that team very, very quickly. You had glory days managing Limerick. Yes, yeah, great days, yeah. The statue isn't up yet in Limerick, but you deserve one there. Maybe when I'm gone, they might. <laughs> <laughs> Solid gold. Yeah. I will look at, no, it, we, we had, shall we say, I was very lucky that I went in at a time when there was a great bunch of lads there. And they were all kind of, I suppose, a frustration with their football careers that they'd never really achieved as much as their talents deserved. So you could say I was the last piece of the jigsaw puzzle. So I came along and I, I came with professional ideas. And again, the attitude that, listen, lads, there's a time to play and there's a time to relax. And we got the blend right. We got a lovely mix of social behaviour, like I was saying about, and we got the most out of those guys. When Owen's testimonial in Tolka Park was getting underway, his own thoughts were far from football. He was seriously ill in the Matter Hospital. Mick McCarthy organised a testimonial for you which should have been a glorious exit, but it was an absolute nightmare for you. You weren't even at the game. Oh, 1997, yeah. I'd gone through an awful lot of nonsense and nothing. Like It was like the light at the end of the tunnel was a train coming at you yeah. and whatever, Like, but the, the train didn't stop. So, I mean, I actually, I just went drinking and I just, you know, because of my personal situation with South Africa and whatever, it just went downhill. And so I just came back to her and I just started drinking. Uh, not not deliberately, it was a way of forgetting. It was a way of sort of, you know, just putting your head under the sand. Going and drinking at lunchtime, going and drinking early evening and then finishing off, whatever. So something had to happen. It was an accident waiting to happen, it did. Got acute pancreatitis, last rites in the Matter Hospital in 97. And, uh, you know, just uh, that, that was such a, such a low period in my life. Like, I mean, and to come out of that and... It was after that then I said, okay, fine, what the hell are you thinking of, you know, like, I mean, trying to kill yourself with drink, you know, there's a better life there, you know, so, and luckily Pauline was around at the time and uh, I give great credit to her, you know, for being such a rock for me at that time. Stopped drinking, stopped smoking and got on with doing my FAI work and whatever and uh, recently I do enjoy a few pints, just social. You actually were, you received the last rites as they call it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, I did, blessing yeah. before death as such. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'll never forget, my, my mother was absolutely disgusted with me, seemingly. I, the priest frightened me, I was drugged out of it, and he was, he was to me, it was like he was coming at me at a cross, and it was, it was like a Dracula movie, you know, and I started swearing at him, and I seemingly told him to F off. And, really? You know, and my yeah. mother was, oh, she was, you know what you said to the priest? No, 
oh my god the language you used i said well he was he frightened me he frightened me <laughs> so, but maybe so, god just didn't want you like well maybe well he obviously didn't <laughs> he obviously didn't I mean, that is the ultimate rejection on i know yeah he was probably afraid the bad influence i would have on the angels and whatever up there you know? I so, yeah. <laughs> unbelievable yeah but uh, anyway i got out of that one and uh, you know life has been good the standout players uh, that you played internationally with in Ireland that would hold up? Well, John Giles stands out immediately, you know. That's number one. And then Liam Brady, of course. I mean, Liam was just... I mean, Liam was starting his international career as I was from, so I, I, I've coincided with him a few times. After managing the Irish team, Owen continued in football management with jobs in Saudi Arabia, Huddersfield and South Africa. He did Trojan work with the FAI from 1999 to 2012, first as their association's career guidance officer and then as football support services manager. Indeed, a life in football and more. In a nutshell, own hand, nice man to socialise with, a nice man to have met in your football career. No, honest, honest as a day is long. For own hand, happiness is. Enjoying Kerry and the beauties of where I go and play golf here in Kerry. Because you get great rewards when you do get a recognition. I mean, a recognition to play for your country and to manage your country. I mean, you can't ask for any more than that. Come by the hills to the land where fancy is free. And stand where the peaks reach the skies and the locks meet the sea. Where the river... How would you like to be remembered, Owen? I'd like to be remembered as a guy who gave it everything. Everywhere I go that I was involved with, everywhere, I'm welcome. I'm proud of that. Yes, those cares of tomorrow must wait. Till this day is done. Sincere thanks to all who contributed by way of interviews for this documentary. Thanks also to my recordist and editor, Ken Tuhi, for all his labours. This programme was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee.